need somebody Not just anybody You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm retired from medical practice, and I'm now an activist for family caregiving which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, today we're going to talk about the advice that's given to family caregivers who are parents or who are children. Um, See, too often family caregivers aren't prepared for the challenges they'll encounter on the road they will travel as family caregivers. They haven't received enough or sometimes any training for the things they will have to do. When they seek advice, they encounter a bewildering assortment of advisors and advice. Advisors include people from numerous organizations, professionals of many types, clergy, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and even chance acquaintances. Advice is available on the internet, from newspapers, magazines, books, television, and talk shows like this one. Too much of the advice, and this is my opinion, is given in the obscure language of professionals, and not all of it is useful to family caregivers. Selecting the most appropriate advisor and sifting through the advice takes time, and time is in very short supply for family caregivers in times of stress, all of which is why today we're talking about the advice for family caregivers. Now, our two guests are Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. Um, Dr. Dave Traveland first. Dave holds a Ph.D. in clinical psychology from the University of Iowa with a clinical internship at Yale University. He served as assistant professor of psychology at Wake Forest University. He's operated his private clinical practice in North Carolina for 30 years. He's also served as an organizational development management consultant for dozens of companies throughout the U.S. Much of his consulting took the form of sales training, management training, and personnel selection using personality tests. His experience includes executive director of the Caregiver Survival Institute, Inc., a non-profit social services agency, and he has personal experience as a family caregiver. He is co-author, along with his wife, Rhonda, of the award-winning book, The Tough and Tender Caregiver, a handbook for the well spouse, as well as numerous caregiver articles in national magazines. Bruce Ritchie. Bruce uh, is moderator and CEO of the Fetal Alcohol Disorders Society and a single father of a son who was diagnosed as an infant with fetal alcohol syndrome. Despite great challenges, his son graduated from high school as an Ontario scholar, which is a high honor, and is now studying online for his Bachelor of Arts. Back in 1991, Bruce was a founding director of the Fetal Alcohol Support Network, a branch of which went online with Fastlink, which now serves more than 400,000 people every year. He's received Toronto St. Michael's Hospital's Award for Pioneer Work 
in fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. In 2007, he led the great FASD horseback ride across Canada. He's received eagle feathers from First Nations and the Métis National Honor Sash. He is a new technologies entrepreneur. He's established precedents in family law and is a published researcher, author, photographer, artist, and musician. So, welcome to the show, Dave and Bruce. Well, it's good to be here. <laughs> My goodness, Bruce, those are impressive credentials. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> now, let's get, okay, let's get you working to show off those credentials, both of you. <laughs> Dave, first of you all. You know, I, I remember the, say, the comment by the former premier, premier or prime minister of Israel going to my ear when she said, don't be humble, you're not that great. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Okay, now to work. Dave, I, I want to hear you to tell us about your, your professional work and how it pertains to the advice given to and received by family caregivers who are providing care to children with serious health conditions. Dave? Well, the, the uh, professional work, I guess, I have done with parents of, of uh, children with, with problems, physical problems, began when I was uh, in my internship. I did an internship with the Hospital School for Physically Handicapped Children at the University of Iowa. And I hate to tell you how long ago that was, but I guess that was in 1963. Um, also, I had some personal experience with it. I ran over my son with a car, and uh, I took responsibility for his care fully on myself until he was able to to walk again it broke his legs in three places and uh, cracked his hip and uh, he was out of commission we thought he was going to die so i've I've been there as a as a person as a father uh dealing with an injured child and uh also as a family practitioner and doing marriage and family counselors counseling we we covered a lot of ground with uh, injured and and disabled children uh on a on regular basis so uh, i've had a lot of experience with it also that that we've worked with the spinal cord injuries uh unit of tampa general hospital where um these uh young men mostly young men have spinal cord injuries and they're being cared for by their parents in their homes they are family caregivers of uh, spinal cord injury, uh, young men. And we, we've had a lot of dialogue with those people about the kind of advice they need and so forth. So that's kind of the background. Is that what you were looking for? Yes, it was. Bruce, it's going to be the same question. Your support work, how it pertains to the advice given to and received by family caregivers. Again, it's in the context of children with serious health conditions. Well, the um, uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, I think, is a little bit different. Uh, we got kind of blindsided uh, with it. When I started the journey uh, 20 years ago with my son, uh, there was very little known about it, and the professionals themselves had no training, uh, and the families had no training, and it was it was very frustrating trying to find information that could help. Prenatal alcohol exposure is linked to more than 60 different disease conditions, birth defects, and disabilities. And because of the nature of FASD, parents can be involved with a huge range of professionals, everything from diagnostic physicians, medical specialists, psychologists, psychiatrists, physical occupational therapists, teachers, social workers, lawyers, the justice system, and mental health professions and professionals, among others. 
and everybody believes that they are an expert in child rearing. So family, friends, and strangers in restaurants and stores all have opinions and advice, some of it good, much of it bad or inappropriate. So the, the issues that we deal with, uh, when, at least when I started this journey, was trying to find somebody who really knew how to deal with the brain injury that our children have suffered. And uh, frankly, physical injuries were easier to deal with brain injury issue, everybody was kind of blindsided. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go back to Dave, and you've already mentioned um, your own experience with family caregiving. Please just say something more about the advice you received when you were just starting out. Looking back on it, how good was that advice that you got? Well, the advice uh, that I got was focused on how to do the best job as a caregiver. Uh, for my son and uh, uh, what kind of medical help to provide him and how to protect him from further injury and this kind of thing. But but the thing that's interesting is that that was not the advice that I particularly needed. I needed advice about how to keep the stress of the situation from doing me in as well. Nobody, it's interesting to me, this is an interesting statistic, I guess, it's, but it's anecdotal. It's not to be trusted. It's not a that it can be that general, but the, the, the thing that's interesting to me is all, of all the family and friends who were giving me advice, nobody asked me how I was doing. Nobody asked me if I was taking care of myself. Everybody was, was uh, giving me um, the kind of advice like, hang in there, things could be worse. Uh, nobody gives you anything more than you can, than you can handle. Everything's going to be fine. It's all a, a kind of a loose uh, I guess they were telling me what they thought society expected them to tell me rather than asking me exactly what kind of advice I would appreciate getting. Right, that's very clear. Bruce, tell us, uh, we've only a short time before the break, but please tell us um, with um, in a short space of time about your experience on the same kind of thing that Dave's just been talking about, that is the quality of the advice you received when you, st you first started out. Well, the quality uh, was, was kind of varied. The, the problems were, the, I mean, everybody was well-meaning. Everybody really wanted to help, uh, and the professionals did, were doing their best with the information that they had. But for the most part, they hadn't dealt with or had training in the areas that we were trying to deal with. I mean, my son had a huge menu of medical issues that we had to deal with, and the, the straight physical medical issues were easily dealt with. Uh, the issues of how to uh, deal with uh, failure to thrive and, and other things were, were pretty serious, but what we needed to know more was how do we get through on a day-to-day -day basis? How do we keep him safe? How do we survive him? And how do we survive ourselves? The reality is that uh, families that are caregivers for children with major disabilities have an 85% probability of falling apart. The stresses are horrendous because of it. I mean, the normal divorce rate's about 50%, but uh, add the stresses of raising a child with disabilities, and uh, yeah, we all become, or most of us, become victims of those stresses. Right. Now, we are heading into the break, um, and we're going to come back to those issues because they're profound. Um, it is time for us to take this short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. 
You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We definitely will be back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is advice about advice for family caregiver, parents, and children. Now, I want to look, ask more about the advice that's given to family caregivers. So, Bruce, tell us about the sources of advice that goes to or is sought by family caregivers relating to children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. What's your, what are your impressions of this advice? Well, the, the individuals, uh, say, uh, there's almost three categories. There's the professionals that are providing advice in their field of expertise. Uh, much of it is useful. Uh, some of it is uh, they're just simply guessing, too, because they hadn't had the training in that field. Then there's family, uh, and everybody and as family and friends uh, think they're experts in raising children. And you can, <laughs> you can take that advice sometimes with a pretty big grain of salt. And then there are other people who have been through it, done it, done the, you know, got the T-shirt in raising kids with fetal alcohol. And that's what we ended up doing was forming a group of, of other parents who were dealing with the same issues. And we were also providing support for each other and trying to find commonalities in what our kids were doing, the issues that our kids were having, and what coping skills and coping strategies or things that we were learning 
Uh, we were also uh, you know, collectively bringing in every piece of research, every article that we could lay our hands on so that we could self-educate and become specialists in this field. We needed to do that. Right. So, so was all different sources had to come together to help us survive this. And one thing I found was that as long as I was focusing on trying to deal with this issue, guys are fixers. That's, way we, that's what we do. Uh, if we start uh, focusing on ourselves too much, it's very easy to get into a situation where you start wallowing in your own self-pity. So as long as we look outward and focus on the job of fixing the problem, uh, it makes it a lot easier for us to survive the day-to-day stresses. Right. At least that was my coping strategy in dealing with it. Right. Dave, um, same question. The kind of advice that family caregivers are getting in your sphere of of activity. You'd mentioned um, yeah, males with particular types of, of, of injuries and that kind of thing. What, what, what are your impressions of the advice that those families get? Well, they, they're oftentimes, and I, I like um, uh, Bruce's categorization that there, are, that there are three categories here of uh, the professionals, family and friends, and then people that are in it themselves. The um, the people that have the most credibility, of course, as, as Bruce has said, are the people that have had these problems themselves. But the, the, the advice that you get from family and friends is oftentimes uh, unsolicited. You, they, they'll, they'll step up to you and say, let me, let me see if I can give you some good advice about how to handle this situation. And you're not even asking them for that. Uh, but but there, there's so little known about caregiving, particularly uh, spe- specific kinds of, of injuries of children there's so little known about it in the general public that uh, the p- people are, are just talking out of ignorance. Um, the one thing I have discovered is that when people are giving you advice about what to do as a parent of a disabled child, their advice is often tinged with self-interest they tell you what they feel makes them feel better rather than make, giving you advice that is actually designed or tailor-made to your situation. They don't bother to do the diagnostic work and ask open questions and do uh, the Socratic questions and find out what are you doing uh, about this, what have you tried, Uh, what are the stresses, what are they like, what are the sources of stress, how do you feel. They don't bother to go through any kind of diagnostic process. Now, that's different with a lot of professional uh, professionals like physicians and counselors and psychologists will often go to that trouble. So the, the odds of getting decent advice is a little better uh, when you get advice from professionals. But even those who have not had the personal experience um, can give bad advice because they rely, they fall back on society's norms, they fall back on religious beliefs. Uh, the, the best source, I think, of advice for family caregivers of disabled children is somebody who is professionally trained, a physician or a counselor, but who also has the identical experience of their own because then they can blend that professional advice and meld it into their, their own personal struggles that they've been through themselves. Right. Perfectly Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Bruce, let's switch to the types of problems that this, um, uncertainty in advice or this inappropriateness of advice creates for family caregivers. What are the problems that you see arising from the advice that's not so good? 
Well, <laughs> bad advice just, uh, A, can uh, lead you down the garden path into a, a, a road that's going to fail. So you waste time, waste resources, waste energy, and you end up failing. Uh, so sometimes it's better not to have any advice than to have bad advice. Uh, I agree completely with Dave that uh, the professionals that have been there, done that as well, being the caregivers, have a better odds of giving really good advice in what you're dealing with than those who haven't been there. Uh, you know, that's one of the lucky things there, the things that we've managed to develop with FastLink is that, uh, you know, with our discussion forum of over 700 members, a lot of them are professionals who are raising children with fetal alcohol disorders. So they bring a certain discipline of mind to the way they approach it and the way they research it and the way they express uh, helpful advice to other parents. Right. Dave, say, it's the same question. Is the types of problems for family caregivers that you see arising from some of the advice they receive? I think it's, the families feel uh, get confused because they get contradictory advice, and then what that results in is a kind of paralysis and inaction. Um, and what they then do is nothing, and they keep wallowing in their sorrow, their depression, their sadness, and the entire family pays a heavy price. And uh, Bruce is right about the divorce rate. Uh, one of the things that you can do uh, to really protect the interests of a disabled child is to make darn sure that that marriage is solid and it's solid gold because it, it, the, the marriage needs to be, a, uh, the whole household needs to be a marriage-centered or adult-centered household. You cannot allow the, the disability to, to be the dog and everything else that goes on in the household to be the tail. There has got to be structure. There has got to be some kind of, of, of clarity with regard to the centrality of that marriage. Uh, because the the very worst thing I think in dealing with my uh, parents of these uh, spine spinal cord injuries, one of the things that these spinal cord injury uh, young men were most concerned about was that it was going to wreck their parents' marriage. Very interesting. Um, okay, Bruce, it's the same question, um, but in a different kind of way. That is, what do the actual family caregivers themselves and and their kids? tell you about the advice they're given and the advice that they really want to hear? Well, pretty much what, I, what I've been passing on to you. I mean, I, I don't know what is my opinion and what is our group opinion because we've sort of evolved each other over the last 20 years. Uh, that it's, it's the same kinds of issues uh, when they're dealing with uh, the hardest group to deal with for any of them, and this is what they're saying to me, is their own family. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, kids are, are raised with sort of a, a punishment ethic. You get out of line, you get your butt swatted, or you get uh, time out or deprived of something. And when you're dealing with kids with uh, fetal alcohol, that doesn't work. They have brain damage, and behavior modification techniques simply don't work. So you find yourself at loggerheads with family, thinking that you're being a rotten parent. Uh, and when your kids are behaving normally according to their brain and you're out in the restaurant and, and uh, they seem to be misbehaving, uh, there are no, there's no shortage of people who get pretty disgusted thinking you as a, a rotten parent and giving their advice. Um, professionals uh, are tremendously helpful, um, but they, you know, they're most helpful if they've been there, done that themselves. 
and we have the professionals online with us uh, as part of the members. So, you know, what can I say? We get a lot of advice. We have to, you know, it's sort of like finding, going mining for, for gold. You have to get rid of a whole lot of overburden just to find a single nugget. Sure. Dave, it's, again, um, your experience of what the caregivers and their kids tell you about the advice they're given and the advice they want to hear. What they, what they end up telling me is that they keep depleting their personal resources because nobody gives them permission to do for themselves. Uh, as we, I may have said this to you on another occasion, but um, the paralysis exists because social pressures, pressures are to sacrifice themselves as parents and do everything for the child and nothing for themselves. And as I've said to you, I think before, that being a martyr only works after you're dead. <laughs> so, so martyrdom is not the answer. The other thing is that, that they, they, they tell me that the advice they give they are given does not give them permission to feel what they're feeling. Caregivers, quite naturally, and this is not a bad thing, it's just the way we are constructed as human beings. Caregivers are not supposed to be angry and resentful because of the caregiving duties, uh, but they, outsiders, Gives him, they do not give us permission to feel what we feel. Rather, they expect us to pretend that it's okay and that everything is fine and that I do not have resentments. I mean, we all as caregivers have resentments, and we all get angry, and we all sometimes lose our cool. And, and that's normal. That's expected. But nobody as advice givers ever tells us that it's normal and just, don't worry about the fact that these urges and these feelings are there because it's perfectly natural. But yep. they don't get that kind of advice. Dave, we're heading into the break. We're going to come back to these points because they're fundamental. And uh, what you're talking about, both of you, is something that we're going to address in the next segment in, in I hope, quite a deep way. So it is time for us to take the short break and pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live, and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. 
hosted by Kim Hahn, founder of Conceive Magazine. Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. Kim wants to share her experiences to educate and empower women. Conceive On Air is the only complete resource destination that inspires and informs future moms about their fertility on the journey to parenthood. Conceive On Air with Kim Hahn, celebrating the creation of families. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is advice about advice for family caregiver parents and children. Now, I want to talk about more about the problems with advice given to family caregivers. You've both identified um, some of the uh, problems with the advice, and I want Dave, first of all, to say what in your experience are the most important problems with the advice given to family caregivers? Well, first of all, every, when, when you get advice from family and friends, it's oftentimes uh, tinged with self-interest. Uh, family and friends will provide you with assistance oftentimes, but it's what they find convenient to give rather than what caregivers truly want or what they need. My advice, this is probably somewhat controversial, but I, my advice is to, to caregivers of parents is make a list and hand it to people who say they want to help. Mow my lawn. Sit here for four hours so I can leave. Bring us a dinner. Get my oil changed. The, 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 the things that we actually need as parents of disabled child, children are things that are almost never offered. So it's not only just advice. It's all, it's all people offering to help and then not understanding that, they, that the things that, that we really need help with are those mundane things. They're not uh, any kind of spiritual counseling of any deep sort. That doesn't help. Right. Bruce, same question. You're the most important problems you've identified along with your, the people you work with. Well, part of it is the, is the lack of financial advice. Uh, and this, you know, that's something that we haven't talked about because it's really a very, very serious problem. Typically, with uh, someone raising a child with major disabilities, uh, if you are a couple uh, and you haven't gone through a divorce, one of the couple are going to have to drop out of the workforce. The financial stress that puts on the family can be awfully dramatic, quite frankly. And if it is a lifetime disability and that child is in your care, when you approach your retirement years, the odds are that uh, your income has uh, dropped sufficiently that it will affect any future pension plan you have. And so the financial 
stresses coming up towards uh, you know, a retirement years can be very, very lingering. Uh, another part of the issue that we found was very distressing was that the professionals were not telling us about the sources of uh, respite care or financial uh, funding, such in, uh, as in Ontario we have the assistance for children with severe disabilities. Uh, we had to find that out from other families as opposed to the professionals that we were dealing with. These are things that the pros should have known and should have passed on to families. Uh, where do we find uh, respite, respite care, special services at home? Uh, how do we get through dealing with the bureaucrats to qualify for these types of, uh, of supports that are needed to keep us from going nuts? I mean, even to go out and get groceries can be a major issue. So if you can access uh, special services at home that come in specific time, are the caregiver temporarily while you go do the chores and things that you have to do, um, that's really important. But we weren't being given that advice and had to find it out from other parents. So those are really problematic, and a good part of it is financial. We had to find out not from the professionals, uh, that there for kids with disabilities can actually go through university fully paid on grants through the Canada Studies Grants. Uh, not a single professional, not a teacher, not a resource teacher, nobody told us about these resources. Well, you know, paying for a kid's university education is really, really a very seriously important thing to be able to do, and if you have been financially stressed over the previous 20 years trying to raise a child as a single parent, uh, there's not a whole lot of money left to send them to university. So these are, you know, you want to look after the caregiver, help provide this kind of information that can get the financial monkey off their back, too. Right. Dave, same question, um, but in a, again, in a different kind of way. What are you going to recommend for addressing problematic advice or these, um, these, these gaps in advice that you've both been talking about? What do you recommend? Well, I think it's so very important to understand that uh, communication of any sort from families and family members and friends is always tinged with self-interest. I, I want to tell you just a, 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 a heart-wrenching story. Uh, I have um, been a caregiver, and my present wife has been a caregiver, and when things started looking up for us, with uh, she had abused children and so forth, and uh, we put them in, in better schools, and they started to do better, and we got them the right kind of medical care, all that. And when things started looking up for us, people in our environment started being angry with us because we call it the stick, the uh, measuring stick theory. <clears throat> they would look at us and they and they and they and see the misery that we were going through, and they would say to themselves things like, "Well, at least things aren't as bad in my house as they are for Dave." So our misery made them feel not quite so bad. So that when our misery started to lift and we started doing better, the people in our environment were not happy with us. Very, very interesting uh, observation. And I, I think that it, all that does is highlight the fact that everybody is trapped in their own perspective so that when you get advice, you have to be aware of what the advice is doing for the advice giver. Frequently, there it is so tinged with self-interest that they're giving advice that, that will help them sleep better thinking that they provided help 
when in fact what they were providing was their own self-therapy, so to speak. So that's the advice we give in part to, uh, to, to, to parents of disabled children, and that is be very careful about evaluating what it is that the person giving advice is likely to be wanting back for themselves. Very, very important. Bruce, again, yeah. what do you recommend for addressing problematic advice? Ignore it. <laughs> Quite frankly, <laughs> everybody's like I said. Everybody's an expert on raising children, and you learn. You know, I've already raised two boys uh, by a different mother uh, that were perfectly normal. So I, I know where the norms are, uh, and I know that I'm a darn good father uh, and develop some good fathering skills in the process. But uh, you know, the disability issues blindsided me, uh, but was still able to deal with it. So you get a pretty good idea of where to sort out good advice. And I'm not a bad miner for information. I can go through a lot of overburden to find something that works. If it makes sense, uh, I may try it. Uh, if it's not flying, then I'll just get rid of it and move on to the next one and try it. Dave, um, Bruce makes a very interesting point. Uh, ignore it if it isn't helpful. But that raises the question of, how family caregivers, how should they recognize advice that really is helpful? I think you have to ask the question, does this ring true? Um, I also think that if you've got a strong marriage, uh, it's two heads are better than one when it comes to evaluating advice you're getting from somebody. Uh, you would have to be desperate indeed for advice if you didn't run the advice by your partner and say, hey, does this make any sense to you? I think you have to ask yourself if it rings true. Uh, the other thing about it is we, we're strong uh, advocates of support groups, and I think that having available to you a group of people that are in the same boat that you are that would be able to evaluate the advice. And one of the things you can do in a support group is to say, let me tell you what these people told me to do. What do you think of that? And have people available who you, you do have as trusted advisors, and they're trusted because they've been there and done that, and uh, they're in the same boat that you are. I think that's the way to evaluate advice. Get, talk to somebody you trust and run it by them. Right. Bruce, same thing. How, how does the family caregiver in the situations you've been describing recognize advice that's helpful and ignore the rest? Well, I agree with Dave completely, and uh, the support groups really have been key to our to my survival and our survival over the course of the years. Uh, you run the the thoughts and the ideas and the concepts by them, and see what kind of a response comes back. Uh, you have to use your own good judgment, and you also have to have a fair bit of faith in your your ability to have good judgment. Uh, you may be a, a fairly solid ego. Uh, if people are unsure uh, of themselves and of the value of their opinions, they're more likely to be swayed by uh, extreme views or, or magic fixes and other idiots that are out there uh, and be led down the garden path. If, if you've got a good, solid way of analyzing information that comes before you, regardless of the source, uh, and trying to make good decisions from it and have the faith that you've got some good sense, then the odds are you're going to survive this thing. Right. And you'll get rid of the bad advice. Now, 
what I'm getting from this, and this has got to be quite brief because we are heading into the uh, break once more, but uh, what you're both stressing is uh, the importance of listening to people who, so to say, have been there and done that, that is, other family caregivers with or without professional experience of their own who've, been, who've traveled the same road. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, in your view, the way in which the advice-giving for family caregivers caregivers should um, should evolve. Bruce, first of all, what do you think? I'm very strongly in support of support groups. They, they really do give the kind of hands-on information that that no academic can give you. Uh, and it's, you know, it is a fact of life that, uh, you know, until you've been piloting the plane, uh, it doesn't do you any good to be a f- professional draftsman uh, looking at the plans. You've got to get your hands on. You've got to be taught by people who've had their hands on uh, to the to the vehicle itself. Uh, Brooke, um, thanks very much for that. I'm just Dave. A very quick one in a few seconds. I take it you agree um, with Bruce on that particular point, and that you're saying that having been there and done that is critically important. Is that right? Have I got you right? Oh, yes, and, and, and uh, we, we, I mean, we are strong believers in support groups for these uh, situations. The only caveat of the only, of the only danger I've ever seen in support groups is uh, we have, um, we've seen support groups for Alzheimer's patients, for example, where the, the, uh, the, the, the leader, not, being in, not understanding what was going on here, tried to make them the best caregivers for, for Alzheimer's patients rather than focusing on the needs of the caregivers themselves. But I don't see much of that going on in other kinds of, care, of, of uh, support groups. Support groups are crucial because they provide you with uh, a, a, some, somebody who's been there, who's been there, faced these problems themselves, and they have a perspective on your situation that's absolutely unique. So, no, I'm a very strong supporter of support groups. Right. Now, it is time for us to take a short break, but we will be coming back to these points in the um, next segment. So we'll take the short break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Dave Travland and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. 
News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is advice about advice for family caregiver parents and children. Now, family caregiving is more and more important, not just for families, but also for the healthcare systems and society as a whole in North America and beyond. So let's talk about what needs to be done to enhance the value advice of advice given to family caregivers. Bruce, first of all, what would you like to see done to enhance the value of advice that does flow to family caregivers? Well, uh, when it, uh, if we're starting off dealing with the professional schools, uh, there really should be some invol- hands-on involvement through the internships, whether they're social workers, teachers, or whatever, uh, with kids with disabilities. So they really have some understanding, not just from, from a book-learning point of view. I mean, we put physicians through uh, internships. I, I think, quite frankly, it's important that a lot of professional colleges have internships of dealing with real people hands-on. I think uh, enhancing the the value of advice, uh, you really, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I can give to caregivers, and we emphasize on FastLink, is maintaining a sense of humor. You ever lose your sense of humor, you're done. Uh, You'll be toasted. Uh, That's to the point where we maintain a a list of uh, humorous things relating to FASTI that have occurred to our our kids, and uh, we don't spend a lot of time passing jokes on FastLink, but we have uh, a a discussion forum that's just for the outlandish, ridiculous things that do happen, things that you probably wouldn't talk to to your neighbors about, but things that are fairly consistent that happen with us and that we can see the humorous aspect to it. And keeping our sense of humor is critical, uh, and, you know, it is not a disaster to raise a kid with disabilities. Far from it. It's probably one of the most enriching, frustrating experiences you'll ever have, but at least you know you're alive. Right. Dave, same question. How, do you, how would you see the enhancing of the advice given to family caregivers? You know, it's interesting. We've not touched on this yet, but I have some very strong feelings about this based on my professional experience as a family counselor. One of the things that has to, I think, be given in the way of advice to parents of chronically disabled children is they have to continue to play the role of parents. One of the things that terrifies children is to the, is the absence of rules and the absence of structure. One of the things that, that one of the most important pieces of advice that I find myself giving these parents is you still have to be a parent. The temptation here is to coddle and to indulge a child because of their illness or disability. It's so tempting. And you, you see it in spades with pe- people who have custody of a child after they've come out of a divorce. And almost as a 
kind of a half apologetic thing to their child, they all of a sudden they don't have any rules anymore. They don't have any uh, any discipline, and uh, the children are absolutely terrified of that. So one of the things that one that parents can do for their disabled children is to continue to play the role of parents. That's just that advice is almost always overlooked by professionals, especially people who have not been there and done it. And I agree with you completely, Dave, on that. Absolutely. Right. Let's carry on with that um, by asking Bruce this. You both mentioned the importance of dealing with professionals who themselves have relevant family caregiving experience. Now, I've got to say that uh, in my training as a physician, it was emphasized that you should always keep your own personal experience out of the story and you should aim for objectivity based on knowledge. Um, you both seem to be saying something different and something very important. Um, Bruce, first, how would you, if you were teaching me medical students, how would you present this point that, yes, it is okay to bring your own personal experience into particular situations? Oh, gosh, I would probably just point out, frankly, that the textbooks are really good for a lot of things, but they're going to have to use their own life experience a lot of the time in dealing with uh, with their patients, and particularly in the issues and, and parenting issues of raising children with disabilities such as FASD. Um, no, keeping that professional total detachment uh, hasn't served uh, hasn't served us well. Again, as we've emphasized all along, it is the caregivers uh, with professional experience who are also caregivers that provide the most valuable uh, advice for us to be able to follow and, and help us get through the, the issues that we deal with. Right. Dave, same question. Well, how would you address medical students, and for that matter, trainees, psychologists, and the other professionals on this issue of bringing in your own personal life experience? Well, yeah, I've been doing this uh, in one form or another for about four decades as a therapist. And I can tell you this, that using my own experiences on a ju judiciously, you don't go in and, and, and talk about everything you do and so forth. It's just you use it as what's called modeling. Um, if, if you're trying to, to, to help someone as a professional, part of the job is teaching. And some of the best and most poignant lessons that I've been able to teach my clients has been things that I have gone through myself and how I coped with it and why I found this a particular strategy or a set of tactics particularly useful to me. That's modeling a solution. It's showing people how to do it, and it's giving them the opportunity to imitate somebody else's solutions to it. So I think that the advice to keep your personal experience out of this, in this case, breaks down because we, it is so clear in my mind, that professionals with relevant experience for the advice that they're giving are so much more effective. So I would, in, in, in the training process, I would tell people to be very careful about how much of this they do. But in situations where credibility is at stake, this is the greatest credibility of all, is to be able to say, hey, I've been there where you've been, and I am, have done the following things, and this is what's worked. Right. Bruce, I'm going to go into still more about this relationship between family caregivers and professionals. And obviously, I'm looking at physicians because that's the only world I know. But here it goes. 
Um, are there occasions when you think that a family caregiver should actually ask the professional, physician, psychologist, whoever, about their own personal experience in relation to the situation that the family caregiver is, is now facing? What do you think? I think that's absolutely necessary. Uh, I want to know the source of the advice I'm coming from and what's it based, uh, I'm getting, what's it based on. I mean, if it is, uh, you know, factual medical information, then that's fine. I mean, I, I, I trust that the doctor knows what he's talking about. When it is dealing with uh, some of the parenting issues uh, that, we're, that we deal with, uh, then, yeah, I, I really want to know uh, what that person's uh, hands-on knowledge is, uh, where they've been, where are they getting this. Right. Dave, same question. Should, should family caregivers quiz their uh, professional advisors on their professional advisors' personal experience? Yeah, in this country, uh, the, the health literacy is a big deal. And uh, the problem with health literacy is that the people are in too much awe and have too much respect for people who have doctors in front of their names and so forth. And I think all professionals who are uh, going to be relied upon should be interviewed and interviewed thoroughly about what it is their background is, their experience is, before we start listening to them. So that I, I think we have a social uh, problem of having too much respect for people in certain professions, and I think that a great leveling would be in order here, especially with people who have uh, children uh, who, in their care who require special kinds of, of, of care, and we're going to rely on the advice of professionals. We better darn well know what the background of the professionals is. It's a matter of, of health literacy, but it's a matter of tough-mindedness and uh, it's people who have any the least little bit of training at all in scientific method are going to say, you know, this is this anecdotal stuff or is this stuff for real? And you've got to be able to interview the professional before you start uh, taking advice from them. Right. Now, this is the last question for both of you um, before we close. Um, got to be reasonably quick, but here's the big question. You've stressed the importance of family caregivers advising family caregivers. There's a lot of this kind of social interaction on the web, through the Internet, and so on. What's your view of use of the Internet to facilitate these uh, family caregiver to family caregiver advice sessions? First, um, Dave, and then Bruce. Oh, well, the Internet is the future, and uh, we... You know, both uh, uh, Bruce and I have websites, and you you have to be able to. The, most of the research that's done on um, medical issues and and behavioral issues and the kind of things that we've been talking about here, most of the research that's done by families is done by on the internet. So uh, we 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 are I, the, the people that I work with are strong advocates of figuring out the best way to, like, for example, support virtual support groups where you have the ability to interact with people in a forum and discuss these issues uh, with like-minded people who might live in Wyoming, uh, and you have an opportunity to get a broad variety of, of advice. So we, we, I think strongly that the, the support groups of the future, uh, are, a lot of them are going to be on the Internet. Bruce? Absolutely. Well, that's, that's the whole basis of FastLink. Uh, we have families from uh, Iqaluit down to Alice Springs, Australia. 
Uh, our membership is all over the world. The problem that you get with uh, a lot of conditions, like, like fetal alcohol disorders, is that there aren't a whole lot of parents in a small community together, and the caregivers, the parents become very isolated and feeling very isolated. And even local support groups always only have a limited number of members and limited uh, amount of uh, informational depth. The Internet provides the possibility of having huge depth. And at any one time, we have 725 or more people online in FastLink's discussion forum. Uh, and that provides an enormous amount of depth and experience to discuss various issues. And it's the relevance issues you wouldn't be able to discuss within your own little community. Right. And it's the relevance of experience of people who've been there and done that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we are uh, coming to the close. So, first of all, I want to say thank you to our listeners and to suggest that they, if they wish, to email us with comments and questions, which I'll gladly pass on to our two guests. Um, in the... Uh, description of the um, episode, you'll find the place to do the emailing. I want to say thank you particularly to our two guests, Dr. Dave Traveland and Bruce Ritchie, for this insightful sharing of experience and advice about advice. Um, the key thing that came from, through is it's family caregivers who've been there and done that. Uh, they are the place that family caregivers who, who are just starting down the road should go to for their advice and that they shouldn't be in, inhibited from asking professionals about their own personal experiences with the medical or other condition that their family caregiver is providing care for. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk about training for professionals who provide services for helping family caregivers. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.